Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah, I love it when people respond back to me. It's kind of awkward when they just go like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, like Sarah said, uh, my name is Dominic. I am a campus minister at VCU with an organization called Christian Student Fellowship. And I just first wanted to just say thank you um, because um, Velocity has supported CSF in the past and continues to, and some of you personally support me. And so you allow me to, to do what I love to do, to engage with college students and on VCU's campus. Um, and so I just want to say thank you for your financial support, your prayers, um, all of it. It really, it really helps sometimes. It doesn't feel like it's doing much when you pray. You don't really get to see, like, I mean, Adam, uh, who was on the drums, is a part of our ministry. So really, that's the only kind of uh, visual that you get of what we do. Um, so I, yeah, yeah, you can clap. He does great on drums. Um, that's, we don't teach him how to play drums there. Um, but uh, again, I just wanted to say thank you for uh, all your support and all your prayers. Um, but uh, if you would turn into Matthew chapter 6. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. Jesus, uh, some of you might know this. This is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, Matthew um, is doing something very interesting. This is um, very, for me, it's a very nerdy thing because um, I went and studied the Bible for, for college. And so when I see like Matthew and what he's doing in terms of how he's creating this, uh, this picture of Jesus as being someone who is better than Moses. And, and if we remember Moses, Moses was this guy who was powerful um, and had a deep relationship with God. And Moses uh, went up to a mountain and got the law from God. And then he came down, brought it to Israel. And Israel is just the worst. And so they're already breaking pretty much every law you can think of. And so we meet Jesus. Jesus is here on a mountain, right? He's on a mountain, and he's getting ready to teach his flock a new way of viewing the law. It's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts in Matthew 5 with, blessed are the poor, the, the humble, the, the weak in spirit. He starts this, this awesome sermon, probably one of the best sermons. And I would say that the, the main thing about this sermon is this question of what does it look like to be a part of God's kingdom? What does it look like to be someone who is bringing the kingdom in our lives? Someone who is bringing the kingdom into the world. And I think the, the question that I, would, that I would start with actually is, is why are you a Christian? Why do you follow Jesus? Um, I think, and, and COVID really kind of taught me this, um, I think a lot of us, we follow Jesus because there is some kind of self-help like issue that, that we feel like Jesus will help us to be our best selves, right? Like if I follow Jesus, then I will be all that God wants me to be, and that's great, and then you know, I'll just love everybody and everything will be rainbows and sunshine. Um, and then you find out that's not what happens. And the problem that we face is that Jesus actually never says that what he's asking you to do is become a better version of yourself. He's asking you to become a better version of him, or a version of him. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, says that what we as Christians are called to is to pick up our cross and die to ourself. 
So if, if you come to Jesus and, and, and you say, well, Jesus is going to help me to be my best self, I, I think you're missing the picture of what Jesus is trying to explain. I think the other issue that we have is not just self-help, but it's also that we come to Jesus because we think that if, if we follow Jesus, then we will be a morally superior people. Um, and that's not what Jesus came to do. Uh, in fact, you see that Jesus hung out with probably not a lot of morally superior people. Um, believe it or not, Jesus is okay that you curse. Um, I know, shocking. Um, and Jesus is okay that, that you get things wrong. Jesus uh, did not come for us to be morally better. Again, Jesus came so that we could be alive. And, and, and the truth is, we find this in the church today, is that most people either base the relationship of Jesus and with Jesus off of these two things, self-help and moralism. And the big thing that I would say with both of those is that none of those two things set you free. None of those things set you free. Moralism doesn't set you free. Self-help doesn't set you free because self-help eventually ends, everybody dies. And moralism, well, you're going to mess up. And you're going to curse. And you're going to do the wrong things. And it really just puts more bondage on you. It puts more weights on you in following Jesus. So then when you come to Jesus, you come and say, well, Jesus, I... Uh, you know, I, I tried to do my best, and I didn't sin at all this week. Um, and then Jesus probably would be like, well, you just lied, so there. And that's what moralism does. So what does Jesus actually come for? Why, why does he come? He comes to bring a kingdom. He comes to bring the kingdom, not just out in the world in creation, but in us. But in us. And that's this process that we call discipleship. This process of following Jesus. Jesus basically takes us and says, look, I love all of you, but what you need to be is more like me. And I know that when you are more like me, that is the true place of freedom and relationship with God that, that you truly deeply desire. And so wherever you are today, whether you have come to Jesus because of self-help or because of moralism or because of whatever reason, Jesus' message to us today is that when we come to him and, and say, I want to look more like Jesus, I want to be discipled, or in a way that we might know it today, I want to be formed in the image of Jesus that's where we find life. And this has kind of been, for me, a process of, of experience because this is where I found the, the real meat of Christianity. Um, we go to church, and then we leave, and then life is just the same. But when we actually take this idea that God is truly discipling us in every aspect of our life and forming us into his image— then we find a deep relationship with God and a deep relationship with Jesus. And that is my hope for you as you leave today that you recognize this. So Matthew 6. Uh, some of you might know this, uh, especially if you're Catholic. Um, the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> we all know it. You might have had to say it a lot of times. Um, and I think Jesus, at, at the climax of his Sermon on the Mount, this comes right in the middle Jesus kind of gives us this, this way of praying. 
Jesus gives us this template for prayer. And so he reads uh, in chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some of you probably said it and were like very quiet and solemn. Um, Jesus gives us this way of praying. And I think this way of praying is actually a, a greater model of how we are supposed to orient our lives to him. I think what Jesus is doing is not only giving us a way to pray, but he's also giving us a way in which we should live our everyday lives. Because as you see, this, this prayer goes deeper than just morals. It goes into our daily bread. It goes into forgiving others. It goes into glorifying God. It goes into all these different things. And so how do we take the Lord's Prayer and how do we take it and look at it as a model for our life? And how does the rest of Matthew 6 kind of show that in 7? And so I'd like to start with, with this idea that, that Jesus, in, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, the idea that we get to bring the kingdom is shown in the way that we bring the kingdom in our everyday practices. Our everyday practices. When you wake up in the morning, you probably brush your teeth. Hopefully you brush your teeth. Um, children, you should brush your teeth. Um, you probably brush your teeth. You might take a shower. You might not. Um, you have a routine and you have practices that you do every single day that, that whether you know it or not, that you have actually been doing for years, right? Like the reason I brush my teeth is because I have been doing it for 23 years. Um, <laughs> the reason that I take a shower is because it's been ingrained in me. The reason that I eat breakfast is because it has become a practice for me. And so how do we bring the kingdom of God in our everyday practices? I think this is where Jesus would model in Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our everyday practices help us to orient ourselves towards God, help us to orient ourselves towards God's presence. And so after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus goes into this practice of fasting. And then he goes into this practice of simplicity. So let's look at fasting, for instance. In verse 16, he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So you see how when, when Jesus prays, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. When we fast and we engage in these practices, we are orienting ourselves towards the Father. We're orienting ourselves towards God's plan and purpose. And, and you don't need to stick to just fasting in, in what I would call in the next couple verses simplicity. This is where Jesus would talk about Sabbath, 
where Jesus would talk about rest, where Jesus would talk about silence and solitude, where he would talk about these spiritual practices that, that truly the church has been using for ages. Like this started probably in the late 600s, even earlier, that, that people recognized that, that their everyday lives were so chaotic that they needed something to reorient themselves toward God. They reoriented themselves toward God because the world that they were living in continually distracted them. And we obviously would know nothing about that. Um, I, I would think that if you see and watch the news, you, you would see the chaos going on in your life. You might even just wake up in the morning and, and just feel this like relentless tug that, oh my gosh, I have to go to work again today, or gosh, I gotta wake the kids up and I gotta get them out of the house, and oh my gosh, I gotta go to, to school or I gotta do this thing, I have to do something, and life is just more and more chaotic. But what Jesus is asking us here is to involve practices in our everyday life so that we can orient ourselves before God, before we even get out the door, before we even go into our work day, so that way we can actually bring God's presence into the world around us. So for example, for me, I wake up and I spend um, like an hour or two in silence, in just solitude. Um, for some of you, that might sound terrifying. Um, for me, it's, it's not. Um, for me, it's good because it helps me to get all the distractions out of my mind, and it helps me to orient myself towards God. It helps me to get in relationship with my Father. That way, when I go through the day, and I can notice there's a very like, tangible difference in the way that my body feels when I actually engage in these practices. Um, maybe for you, you might need to start taking Sabbath or start taking it seriously. Maybe for you, you actually do need to work on fasting because your life has been so focused on social media or food or television. Maybe you need to fast from those things. Like maybe you've been stranger things a little too much or, or whatever, and you just need to take yourself away from it and say, God, I just need to orient myself towards you. And, and the thing I, I, I notice is that a lot of Christians and a lot of us really have kind of relegated this to um, these ideas of practices to going to church on Sunday, reading your Bible, and praying. And those are all good. Like, you should do those things. But what I think Jesus also calls us to is going into deeper, like finding out more about what do these practices actually do in my life. I challenge our college students to Sabbath because, look, I hear their schedules. Um, Adam, I hear your schedules. And it's nuts. Like, I was in college, like, and my schedule was pretty easy. The, it's nuts. I have a student who goes to bed at 2 and then wo wakes up at 5 that's insane. But do you see how the world has changed how we believe about what our lives should look like? How, how the work that we do often becomes our identity. How when we get up and go to work, that is who we are, instead of God saying, no, that's not who you are. Who you are is my beloved son and daughter. And whether you spend a day not doing anything or whether you don't eat anything or whether you don't ask me for anything, this is who you are. 
And it is a struggle because there are days when, look, I want to fast and I just want to veg out because I am tired. But the challenge is in our everyday lives and our everyday practices to actually dive deeper, to put in the work, to actually go to fasting instead of going to television, to go to prayer instead of first going to the remote, to go to God instead of going to the fridge, to go to Jesus instead of going to that bottle of beer, to go to God when we're tired, when we're angry, when we're frustrated. And as you continue this journey, again, I, I say this is hard because this is what I've experienced, is that, that it is tough. The reason that these are practices is because that they are something you incorporate, and then as you get older, just like brushing your teeth or taking a shower, you will notice that doing them is easy. So now doing an hour of silence is easy for me, and it's great. When I was starting, like, I hated five minutes um, because no one was talking and it was very awkward. But as you continue putting these things into practice, as you continue practicing fasting and Sabbath and silence and solitude and prayer, these things get easier. It just means you have to stick with them. So we bring the kingdom in our everyday practices. We bring the kingdom in everyday practices. Next, uh, we bring the kingdom in what we give our attention to. And these all kind of go hand in hand. You'll notice that is that as you give your attention to the practices, you'll find that your attention is actually focused on God and not on other things. So, so Jesus says in verse 19, don't lay treasures up for yourself where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So what Jesus is basically saying is, look, you eventually are what you give your attention to. Um, and, and you might think that you're the exception of like, yeah, but I know better. Um, you know, it, like advertisements, like, right? You think you're above being exploited like that. But then you find yourself, I don't know, in a dealership with a car because Carvana has a cool way of doing things. And it's got a cool tower. And it's cool when you put the coin in and the vending machine happens. And you get this new, new car and it's really cool. And you think, wait a second, what just happened? Or even think about like, I don't know, cereal. Because when I was a kid, or actually, this is a better example, of when you had like those ads when you were watching Saturday morning cartoons and it was like, call now for, um, we had zoo books as a kid. And like, I was like, no, I'm never gonna want a zoo book. But then the ad came on, it's like, but look at all these animals. They're so cool. And they're in a book for me that I can read for only two payments of $29.99. And, and we give or we turn into what we give our attention to. The, the saying that you are what you eat is very true, and the saying that what you give your attention to is eventually what you'll become. So like with the practices, what are you giving your attention to? 
Jesus says, are your attentions on gaining treasures here on earth? Are you so focused on getting the new car, the new house, the the side corner office, the, the best things, or are you focused on laying treasures in heaven? Are you giving your attention to the things that God would want you to give your attention to? Again, this, this is a hard thing because Jesus knows the chaos in our lives continually want us to go to things that probably won't benefit us. So really, when you are angry or when you're upset, what do you give your attention to? Do you go to television? And eventually, you're going to realize that what you've been giving your attention to is, is forming you, is shaping you. And, and this is quite literally what the main uh, idea of this, this process called spiritual formation is about. This idea that we are being formed in the image of Christ, but it's really only when we give our attention and our time to the things that Jesus wants us to give our attention and time to. That's not saying you can't, you know, watch um, whatever. I'll use Below Deck. My mom watches Below Deck, so I'll call her out. Um, Yeah. Um, It doesn't mean you can't watch something that you enjoy. It doesn't mean you can't do things you enjoy. It just means that you have to recognize that eventually you will become like that thing. You will emulate that thing. So, you know, when, when parents uh, look at their child and say that there's a lot of me in you, that's true because you have been formed by your parents. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Um, he says this. Um, I don't think this quote's up on the screen, but um, C.S. Lewis says this. Uh, he says, every time you make a choice, whether you go to uh, the beer bottle, whether you go to pornography or television or whatever, um, Whatever choice you make, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures, and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature, uh, to be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other, Um, you're never just standing still. You're never really just stagnant. Even if you feel like you're not really moving anywhere, we're always moving either towards God or away from him. We're either being formed into his image or being formed into the image of the world. So what are you giving your attention to? What are you giving your attention to? And the reason that these spiritual practices are good and helpful is because they help you to give your attention back to God. That when I am in the middle of silence and solitude, I can't really give my attention to anything else other than Jesus. Because he's the only thing I'm focused on. Because there's no other noise. Are you giving your attention to social media? Are you giving your attention to all these different things? What are you giving your attention to? And is it making you a hellish creature or a heavenly creature? 
And I would even go so far as to say if we continue, Jesus uh, says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? So Jesus continues and says that, that what you give your attention to is eventually what you become. And so if you give your constant attention to the things of the world, guess what? You are going to worry and you are going to be a very anxious person. Um, and notice what Jesus does. Notice, Jesus says, don't worry about water, what you will drink, food, what you will eat, or clothing, what you will wear. And when we look at those three things, what do we need to sustain life? Food, water, shelter, clothing. Jesus says when we are so focused on giving our attention to the things of this earth and the things that end up fading, we end up being anxious people. And we end up not bringing grace and peace and the kingdom into the world. We end up bringing frustration, anxiety, anger, rage, all the things that Lewis said, we bring those into the world and into our relationships. And the question again is, is that what you want? Is that what you want to bring into your life? If it's not, then let's be honest about that. And let's be honest about what we're giving our attention to. And if it is, then be honest about that. If you, if you would rather, you know, be an angry person, be an angry person. That's fine. But if you want to be a person of peace and love and grace, then, then focus on the things of the kingdom of heaven. Focus on Jesus. Give your attention to Jesus. And the last thing I think in the way that Jesus helps us to bring the kingdom is by bringing it into the world, bringing it out into the world. And, and Jesus primarily focuses on our interpersonal relationships. So my relationship with you, your relationship with me, or your coworkers, and all the other people around you. And, and Jesus uh, talks about it uh, in, in chapter 7. So he's continuing on in his sermon. And he says, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So again, when we look back at the Lord's Prayer, uh, what we give our attention to, give us this day our daily bread, and then we move on to forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Jesus is calling us to focus our attention on our relationships with other people. Forgiveness, judging. How many of us judge people? Of course we're not guilty of that. And Jesus continues in verse 3, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so Jesus says that our relationships should look more like his relationships with other people. That our relationship as we are formed by Jesus and in Jesus should look more like him and his relationship to other people. So when you meet other people, do you judge them? And not in a way that is kind of superficial of like, oh, he's got tattoos and stuff like that. I'm talking about this person can't be a part of the kingdom of God. 
this person can't possibly ever be loved by Jesus. I think that's the level to which Jesus is calling us not to judge each other. And so it goes into our relationships of forgiveness. We don't judge one another. We don't come to each other and look at the worst qualities about each other, but we assume the best in one another. And and looking forward, uh, look into verse 12, and this is the one that we probably all know. So Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus says all that, that what I am saying and all that you could do to one another, do as you would have someone do to yourself. And that's really challenging when we actually do that in our real everyday lives, when we actually think about that. So when you, I'm, I'm just using this as an example. Um, if you go up and you punch somebody and then you got punched back, you wouldn't want to get punched. So why would you punch somebody? When you insult somebody behind their back, you wouldn't want to be insulted behind your back. So why would you? The way that you treat other people should be exactly how you treat other people. So when you're unmerciful to your coworker, you don't give them grace. And then you're shocked that that you don't receive grace. Well, how did you treat other people? Or when you, you uh, blew up at your friend or your brother or your family mother, member, and then somebody blows up at you, gets angry with you, well, is that how you should have responded? Should you have blown up at someone? Should you have treated somebody like they were less than human Because if that is the way that you're going to treat them, then don't be surprised when that's how you are treated. Because what Jesus is calling us to do is to treat other people like we treat ourselves. And again, this, all of these things are really challenging. That, that reality of treating other people how you want to be treated is really hard. But Jesus raises the bar for our relationships with each other so that we can bring goodness and mercy and joy out into the world. I, um, you know, I'm going to be honest, like, I am never really the best person when it comes to making fun of other people because sometimes I like to joke on people and I take it a little too far. And I was joking on someone, um, and you wouldn't know them, so I won't uh, talk about their names or anything, um, and I was talking about them with a, a group of mutual friends who knew this person, and, and all of a sudden, um, just as I'm making fun of them, um, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said to me, Dominic, what if I chose to use her in a way that is better than you? And, and I had to pause because I was like, well, what do you mean by that? because I don't know, and the Holy Spirit again said, what if I wanted them to bring my kingdom as opposed to you? What if I chose them instead of you? What if they are actually the ones who are going to reach more people than you do? What if they are the ones, the person that you are making fun of right now, my daughter, my, my daughter who I love, what if I choose them to bring my good news to the world. 
Well, then I had to step back and, and think, oh, I've actually been doing this a lot. I've actually made fun of people a lot. And what Jesus is actually calling us to do is to stop and think about how we are relating to one another. That's what the church should be. The church should be a place where, where we all have relationships with one another that aren't perfect, but they are different than what the world is seeing because when we go out into the world, if we just bring to them self-help and morality and just good, um, a good way of living, then it's not going to change anything. It's not going to set people free. Our relationships with one another are the best picture that this world has of the gospel. Our relationships with our families, with our children, with our friends, with our brothers and sisters, with our wives and our husbands, that is the way that the world sees Jesus. So how are you doing with that? How are you doing with your relationships with your kids or your friends or your family? How are you doing with that? And Jesus continues on because he says that you will, you will know how people are doing because he says um, in verse 13, he says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. But he says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, the people who are preaching that Jesus just came to give you morality and a better sense of self. They're, sheep's, they're wearing sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from, <laughs> I can't say this right, thistles, 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 yeah. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So Jesus says that people will know how you relate to other people because it's going to show up in the world. Again, what all of these are connecting to is that, guess what? We are all being formed by something, and that something is eventually going to bleed out into the world. And so our relationships and the way that we handle them and take care of them or don't take care of them are going to eventually be shown in the world. So what is the world supposed to think when they see us? Do they think that we're good fruit? Do they think that we're bad fruit? Do they think that we are thorn bushes who judge and don't forgive and are unmerciful and hateful? Or are we the people who, when they step into the doors, that we are a place of love and kindness, grace, peace, acceptance, and mercy? But that starts with our individual relationships with each other. And all of these things, if I, if I could sum up all of these things, none of these things, the idea of practices and giving your attention to something else and, and your relationships with your friends and family, none of these things are, are the goal in and of themselves. Like the goal of the Christian life is not to have the best relationship with your friends that you can have or to be so focused on spiritual disciplines or to really make sure that, you know, you're like a monk and you're not watching TV and all you're doing is praying 24-7. Um, I don't recommend that because eventually you need to eat. 
That's not the goal. The goal of all of this is to know the Father, is to know Jesus. All of these things are more like avenues that you go down in order to know Jesus. We continue in, in, in Matthew in 7, in verse 21, and this, this is such a hard thing for me too, and it's a very scary thing. Because Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Notice Jesus these guys, these people, have, they prophesied. They cast out demons, good things, moral things, very holy things. And yet Jesus says, I never knew you. The challenge for us in this and the fear that a lot of people have is that just because you are in the church building does not mean you know Jesus. But the hope and the challenge that Jesus gives, I think the hope in this is that, that when we orient our lives towards him, towards hearing his voice, then we begin to know Jesus. We don't just know about him. We don't just know the things that he would want us to do. Yes, he wants us to serve, but he wants us to know him first and then serve. He wants us to know him first and then worship. We don't worship because it's the right thing to do. We worship because we know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Jesus says, I never knew you. And so the challenge with all of these things, with bringing the kingdom in your everyday practices and giving your attention to good things and to your relationship with the world and others is to know Jesus. That's it. It's simply to know Jesus. And I, and I think Jesus again says uh, the same thing in, in uh, I forget which gospel, but he says essentially the same thing that those who come to me and say, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do this in your name? They, they get separated between goats and sheep. And goats come and say, didn't we do this? And the sheep come and say, God, when, when did we do that? We just, we just knew you. We were just in relationship with you. We just loved you. And we, we gave our lives to you. When did we actually do any of this? And then Jesus says to them, well, when you gave water to that homeless guy, you did it for me. When you chose to spend time with me. You did it for me. When you chose to show mercy to that coworker who definitely didn't deserve it, you did it for me and you did it to me because you knew me and all you wanted to do was just know me. And that's what it really means to bring the kingdom of God in our lives is to just know Jesus. It's that simple and yet it's probably the hardest thing that I've ever done and it continues to be hard and challenging because there are days where I mess up. There are days where I get it wrong. There are days where I feel like I am not doing anything right. But the grace that Jesus gives is that he's already done it. He's already died on the cross for us. 
so that there is nothing in our way of just simply knowing him. We don't have to work to know him. We don't have to do anything to know him. We just can simply come and know him. And as we continue to get to know him, we find that our lives are fully oriented towards the Father. For, for me, this, this really um, kind of came out of my friend, um, and he's a Pentecostal. And if you know any Pentecostals, they're all kind of like, not crazy, but they're a lot. Um, and, and he, you know, he would constantly, we would come and, and we would talk together. Um, he's one of my best friends. And he would just talk about, like, he would spend time in prayer, and he would have these great and awesome experiences with God, and it was awesome, and it was great, and I loved hearing about it. But at the same time, I was going like, well, why don't I experience those things as well? Well, I asked him, well, hey, what does your daily life look like? And he said, well, I wake up at five, and then I spend four hours in prayer, and I go to work, and I do these things, and I come back. I don't have a TV. I don't really watch TV. I don't do that. I just read, and really, I just read maybe a few uh, good books, and I constantly read the Bible, too. I study scripture, and then I go to bed at like nine so I can wake up the next day, and I end it with prayer in the closet, and I just spend time with Jesus, and I was like, I'm sorry, did you say four hours? I barely could stay awake in two hours of school. But the goal in that is, is, again, that as you begin to form these practices, form what you give your attention to, and form your relationships around the person of Jesus, then things like that become easy. And I'm not saying you're going to have, like, I'm not saying Jesus is going to come, like, right and stand before you. Like, I'm not saying that's going to happen. But what I am going to say is that as you do that, your heart slowly gets more oriented towards God. And so when you hear on the news that, there's another shooting. Or when you hear on the news that another child was abused, you hear about how someone committed suicide. You hear about friends who are jobless or homeless who are suffering. As you've practiced all these things, you can go to those spaces and be Jesus to them. You can orient your heart and ask Jesus and be with the Father, how can I do this? How do I do this? How do I orient my life towards you for other people? I, I want to end with this, this illustration. I've used this a lot lately because I think like it just came randomly, um, and it's been really good. Adam, you've seen this before. I keep picking on Adam. I shouldn't pick on him so much. Um, our lives are like this coffee cup. Um, now, it's an empty coffee cup, um, but Hopefully, when you go out to the store and you buy a coffee cup, it's empty, right? But it still has value. You paid $25, arguably too much for a coffee cup, but we're in Richmond, and so everybody wants their hipster coffee. You bought an empty coffee cup. So it has value. You have value, but what a coffee cup was meant to be done it was meant to, obviously, with coffee, but you were meant to be poured into. A coffee cup isn't necessarily doing its job if it's just sitting there empty. It's not doing what it was made to do if it's just sitting there. Not being poured into, just taking whatever gets thrown at it. And yet, though, it still has value, again, but it's not doing what it's meant to do until it gets poured into by coffee or water, or whatever you want. 
And ultimately, it was made to pour out. I'm not going to do it now. You were made to pour out, to be poured into and poured out. Because this, this is not just for you. Your growth and your spiritual maturity and your relationship with Jesus wasn't meant to be just you and you and Jesus. It was meant to be shared with your neighbor. It was meant to be shared with your brother or your sister or your cousins. It was meant to be shared with the world. It's not for you. It's for other people. And so when we come to this idea that our lives are a coffee cup, yes, we have value when we're not being poured into but we're not doing what we were made to do. We were not doing what we were, we were created to do. And we pour out to other people. So as you leave this week, may you pour into practices. May you pour into giving your attention to good things. May you pour into your relationships with other people so that you can know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your gift of today. Thank you for, for dying on the cross, Jesus, for all that you've done so that we can know you. God, that this is what this is all about. It's just about knowing you and being close to you. And yes, we, we know more than anybody else. We ourselves know that we are not going to get this right. And we are so sorry when we get it wrong. But Jesus, we know and we are thankful that you have gotten everything right, that you have done everything right so that we can come and know you and know the Father, and that we can just be with you. And so I pray for strength as, as people try and sit in silence, as people try to turn off Netflix, as people try to just sit with you in silence and, and Sabbath and with fasting Jesus, I pray for strength as we give our attention to the things of you, and I pray for grace and mercy for the people who have hurt us and for those who have, have hurt in their lives who are about to go out to people who have hurt them and to show them mercy. God, it is a challenging thing, but we ask for your grace to do so, and we ask fully that, that you would be with us, that we would simply know you and love you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.